Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Thought of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Mensa. Always excited when I have my guest, Charlie Pierce, on. We've been doing, uh, for the last several years, a series of Checkpoint Charlies with a man I consider to be the most astute uh, political writer in the country. He writes for Esquire.com. He's a Twitter king. He's a sports nut. Uh, he's a very funny guy, and I call him my psychological morphine drip for all things political. We've got it for the whole show tonight. Mr. Pierce, how are you tonight? How are you? And congratulations on the book, my man. Thank you. It's fun. Those reviews are, those are, yeah. views are sweet. I'm actually selling some, which is uh, <laughs> kind of a nice Always feeling good. to uh, put, a little, put a little money back in the bank account. And it looks like, it looks like from... Uh, from uh, what I gather on social media, the spring has come to Duluth. Yeah, oh yes, it's beautiful. In fact, uh, uh, I was going to ask you, how's the weather out in Massachusetts? Where uh, it's, it's beautiful today. It's been, it's been kind of up and down the last month or so. We get, like, it's been more cloudy, actually, than rainy, which is kind of strange. But uh, I think we're turning. I think we're turning the corner. They're playing at Fenway, so all's right with the world, except yeah, we, we got up to yeah. There you go. We got up to seventy yesterday. I'm a little worried about it, Charlie, because I get. I'm, I'm wondering if it's not nuclear warming. <laughs> well, don't look, don't look don't look a gift high pressure area in the mouth. I mean, <laughs> did you uh, did you uh, put yourself? Did you put yourself through the torture watching the uh, Tucker Carlson Trump interview? No. Or, yeah. I n- neither one of them has anything interesting to say to me. No. Although I was reading in uh, uh, Politico this morning, and Jack Schaefer, who I usually enjoy reading, uh, suggested, and I don't think he was kidding, sending Tucker Carlson over to Russia to get the uh, Wall Street Journal reporter out. Hey, I mean, it, I mean, I you know, I, I'd be in favor of anybody going over there and get that poor guy out. I mean, they want yeah. to send Tucker. That's fine. They and you know what? If 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 they're saving money over in Russia, they can just send them a one way ticket. <laughs> you know? Now that I agree with. So you know, Charlie, I I was hesitant to call this set up this interview because it's been such a slow couple of weeks in national politics. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a very red hot uh, net, uh, week in the national politics that are taking place in America's courtrooms. However, it's no, it's been crazy. I, I say that facetiously, of course. I don't write. I, I I put a list of things to talk about. Uh, I guess at the top of the list when I was doing my research, Jim Jordan. Let's talk about the committee. He's going to Manhattan to cause some trouble. What exactly is going on there? It's you know this this I mean he's he's a a burlesque of a congressman on, the, on his best day. He's going to go to New York and get his ass kicked. I mean Alvin Bragg, that, what, what, you know Alvin Bragg, who everybody thought was going too soft on the former president, has shown that at least in defense of his own investigation, he's a real bear. I mean him suing Jordan is you know that that's a that's a crank up the Enola Gay moment. I mean mm-hmm. you know you're suing a a congressional oversight chairman for interfering and, and implying that he's obstructing justice—fabulous. Well, th- th- what, what confuses me is Jordan's trying to call this Mark Pomerantz, who resigned because a couple of years ago he didn't think 
Bragg was moving aggressively enough. They're calling him on. Well, he wrote a book that said Trump is guilty, you know, all the way to the uh, Supreme Court on this thing. Yeah, I mean, that one that one floored me when I read it. And I mean, the only thing I can think of is that some staffer, you know, some, you know, 20 year old graduate of Bob Jones University, you know, <laughs> noticed that Pomerantz quit in anger uh, and, you know, over over something Bragg did. And just threw it in there without reading what what Pomerantz had actually said in his resignation letter and in his book. No, that is, uh, yeah, I just I, I loved it, but I was like, going, geez, somebody should have done a little more research on this dude." Oh my God! I, tell me about it. I mean, it, I, I I was stunned when I, when I saw that. And Pomerantz probably didn't want to do it anyway, but still, yeah. I mean, wow. Well, and then uh, I was reading another thing. So uh, Jordan wants to go to Manhattan and bring up how bad the crime is. The crime's actually down. It's actually worth. It's actually worse in Jim Jordan's home state than it is in New York City. Yeah, I mean, violent, violent, violent crime is, is is a problem. Violent crime has been a problem forever, uh, going back to Cain and Abel, and Jim Jordan discovering that some of it occurs in New York while not paying attention to anything that's happening in Ohio, is, you know, par for his course. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that rolls out. Say, um, our conversations are, you know, always go uh, all over the board, which I enjoy about it. But the one thing I was thinking about when I was lining you up to speak tonight was who, you know, you are one of the funniest uh, political writers out there. I mean, you're a very serious writer, but you're, you're really funny. And I think uh, when I first came on to you, um, you referred to Paul Ryan from Wisconsin as the uh, uh, doe-eyed granny starver. Is that, is Zombie-eyed that a, granny starver. Yeah. I, so i got to ask you, Charlie, what, uh, what are your comedic influences? Who have you loved over the years in terms of comedy? Oh, boy. Uh I, I mean, I, I, the list may be too long. I think, the, I think the funniest person I've ever encountered in print or in, or or live is Richard Pryor. I think he's the gold standard for stand-up. Uh, I missed it for political satire. You know, hell, I go all the way back to to uh, to Mr. Dooley, who only Peter Dunn in Chicago. Uh, a lot of the what, the so-called new journalists, Hunter Tom, Hunter Thompson, Tom Wolfe. Uh, you know the ability, the ability to, you know, infuse your anger and do it in such a way to make people laugh. I mean, I mean, I'm all over the place. Jonathan Swift, is for sure. Uh, oh God, you know, where else? Where else? How about how about more, You know, I was uh, when I was. Oh, young, and 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 I mean, to to you know bring it to bring it all back home, as we say, Bob Dylan. Yeah, people. One of the most underrated things about Bob Dylan and his life of his life and career is that a lot of his stuff is really funny. Yeah, and Desolation it, it, Row is the whole is hilarious. I mean, it, it really is. And if and the, I have heard older bootlegs where he would play that and he would get the same reaction from the audience that Arlo Guthrie did with Alice's Restaurant. Yeah, no, he's. Uh... And it's so much of it, you know, what Dylan harkens back to, it's Borscht Belt comedy. 
Right, and you know, and, and you know, he's, he's casting he's casting himself in a tradition that includes Mark Twain among other people. So yeah. it's probably no surprise. Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I mean, James Thurber knocks me out. Uh, 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 Frank O'Connor, Sean O'Fallon from Ireland. Uh, Flann O'Brien is probably my primary influence, but I can, I don't have the mind to write like him because nobody mm-hmm. ever did and nobody ever will. But he is, he is the last time my attitude towards the language turned, which is basically that if you if you do it right, you can make the English language do anything you want it to do. Yeah, interesting. I love that take on it. You know, I uh, have you had the uh, chance to uh, listen to any of the. Uh, Bob Dylan theme time radio hour shows that he did about a hundred. Oh, I, I was I, I was I was a uh, I was a regular uh, I was a regular listener. I have the uh, the uh, they put they put together a kind of greatest hits package that you can buy mm-hmm. with with Bob's comment. And Bob was a hell of a disc jockey. Yeah, he is. I mean, he really was. I mean, first of all, he really knows his stuff, and second of all, you know. He, he do that these wonderful theme shows about whiskey and baseball and Christmas and pull these songs out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, I remember, you know, the first song he played on his baseball show, and everybody in the world thought he was going to do Brown Eyed Handsome Man by Chuck Berry because it refers to Jackie Robinson. He, he plays Life is a Ball Game by Sister Winona Carr. <laughs> no, he's phenomenal. I remember now that uh, we've got... Mother's Day right around the corner of his Mother's Day uh, program. Uh, he, he says something to the effect of, uh, yeah, I bought, uh, bought my mother-in-law uh, an electric, uh, electric uh, chair for Mother's Day, but she hasn't plugged it in yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, well, you know, think about Bob, uh, you I was following it yesterday. I get a couple of newsletters, and he he's doing his whole uh, rough and rowdy ways uh, um, songs from his latest record. Very few modern artists play their latest record; they always play the hits. And the other night in uh, Japan, he pulls out "Truckin'" by the Grateful Dead. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> Now that that's one I wouldn't have expected. I mean, I, there are Grateful Dead. I mean, if you pulled out Uncle John's band, I'd understand completely. Right. Or Friends of the Devil, or anything. But trucking is a little bit. I mean, it's it, you know, it's it's a road song, so I guess it sort of counts in what he does for a living. But that's really that's really amazing. He's playing well, all the hits. He's playing everybody else's. Yeah. Well, the, you know, and the thing is about it, the the show I saw. Bob at the Pantages in Hollywood in June last summer, uh, two shows, and it's kind of a subdued show. There's a few up-tempo rockers, but um, uh, it's, you know, a lot of really slower stuff like Rough and Rowdy Ways, but then he pulls out this tune like in the middle of the set, and the band is absolutely smoking, and, uh, you know, it's Bob singing... uh, how Bob sings, which I adore, of course, but uh, it was nice to know the guy coming on the age of 82. What was, here. It, what was he playing again, Paul? Uh, well, when he was playing trucking, uh, he was playing oh, okay. right. singing, but what I'm saying is that he's six weeks away from his 82nd birthday, and he's rocking as hard as any young punk out there. 
<laughs> oh man, uh, that that that's real. That's really very funny. Although I, I'm, I'm sure he's singing, he's singing trucking, and he you know he gets the lyrics about set up like a bowling pin. No. And part of his mind is going, I could have come up with a better metaphor than that. <laughs> Who are I, these rookies? You know what? Let's listen to a little clip of that uh, that we can grab. Bob Dylan doing trucking the other night in Japan. And then we'll get back on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzen, with my guest and buddy, Charlie Pierce. Check this out. Welcome back to the second set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. My guest for the whole show tonight on these episodes we call Checkpoint Charlie, Mr. Charlie Pierce. Charlie, so um, uh, how are the Red Sox going to look this year? Oh, they're terrible. Uh, they, you know, if they've got, a, they've got a, a general manager who's had three years to get them out of the ditch and he hasn't been able to do it, I think, I mean, I... I Disgusted by, by the fact that they're losing for years. The, the rap on the Red Sox was they would trade away their young, the players, the young players developing in their farm system for quick fix win today uh, veterans. Finally, they start developing talent. Mookie Betts, Xander Bogarts, uh, Andrew Benatendi, all these guys. And they just don't pay them, and they go free agent. Right. Losing Mookie Betts was a disgrace. Losing Xander Bogarts was just an insult. And it was all over money. One time, do you get to Fenway much during the summer to see games? Uh, two or three times a year. Prices are a little bit extravagant. I like to go with my daughter. I've been going to, I've been going to baseball games with Ollie for, since she was, oh boy, eight or nine. And she goes by herself. She will go by herself or with friends now. Uh, yeah. Her boyfriend, her boyfriend had a cousin, as a cousin who pitches for the Orioles, huh. but she got to go to opening day. Incredible! Well, you know, uh, it's amazing. Uh, every now and then, I'll, I'll take in a Twins game at the. Uh, actually, it's a it's a beautiful stadium, Target Stadium, although it's placed right downtown next to the garbage burner. Whoever thought of that, I I don't know, and it's amazing. How many women go to games now? A lot of female baseball fans. Yeah, that's been the case for a while. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't begin. Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't. Be, I mean, leaving aside the fact that you know the effect of Title IX has, has increased women's participation in sports at every level, including being fans. Uh, I, I wouldn't begin to ex- explain why, but base, baseball is always baseball has has. Been a little bit ahead on that. Maybe it's you know, it's it's outdoors. It's it's outdoors. It's the summertime. It's you know, it's all, you know, both men and women are happy with that. So who knows? Yeah. Well, I'm 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 happy to see it. Uh, let's talk hockey a little bit now, Charlie. Uh, Quinnipiac. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you did you did you follow that much? Being from the East Coast. Were no, I, I honest to God, I didn't even know. Uh, I, the, the frozen four got past me completely this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, I mean, Quinnipiac has built the program from the ground up. Uh, you know, 35 years ago, they were the Connecticut College of Commerce. Hmm. And now they're, 
their Quinnipiac University uh, NCAA hockey championships. Yeah. Well, and captained by my cousin. My well, captained by my cousin's son, Zach Metza. Really? Yep. That was my cousin. Yep, Tommy passed away, unfortunately, about a year and a half ago. Uh, but he was a hockey player. He played for uh, the, the Roosevelt High School, my high school, Blue Devils. Tommy was about 15 years younger than me. And uh, then went on to play in St. Paul for Hamlin University, but raised his kids playing hockey. In fact, I had a picture that I was able to send a, a young Tom when he was about 10 years old. My dad... Uh, business. He sold real estate and insurance. It was called Elder Enterprises because my dad's name was Elder. And I sent him a nice picture of him wearing an Elder Enterprise peewee hockey jersey. But he raised those kids. It was a typical northern Minnesota thing. You don't have to go to the skating rink. You just flood the backyard. And, uh, and uh, so he raised those kids. And Zach went out. Uh, I didn't get to watch the game against Michigan, but I did watch the game against the Gophers, and that was Zach's last game as a senior, uh, and he had captained it. So literally went out on the Mount Everest of the NCAA uh, hockey tournament program. So I was very proud of him as a shirt tail relative. Well, not just, not, not just that, but it gives you an indication of how quickly Quinnipiac built its program. Yeah. That it was re- it was already reaching into Minnesota to get players. Well, and then I started from scratch. Yeah, basically, and uh, two, I have a little maybe because I'm superstitious, but I was talking to another buddy who was a big Gophers fan, and he was commiserating. I said, "Well, I don't think there was any fins on the Minnesota Gophers team, and there was two on Quinnipiac. I'm not saying that's the secret sauce." But I think if you're going to have a good hockey team, you need a Finlander or two. But that's my opinion. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry, Paul. I lost the thread there a minute. Oh, that's all right. Well, I was just talking about Quinnipiac had two Finlanders on the team. I don't think the Gophers had any. I think a strong hockey team should always include a Finlander or two. Oh, but there's that, no question. Yeah. Is that what it, I mean... Yeah, plus, they're from the happiest place in the world, according to every survey. So, <laughs> and the uh, yeah, and the uh, there's a there's a word for it, a Finnish word for drinking vodka in your underwear. It's a very popular pastime over there. I read another thing on Phil, another thing on Phil a couple of weeks ago, and he said the point, the reason why we're so happy, low expectations. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, although there's a lot of very high achievers in Finland. I'm looking forward to getting over there one of these days. One more hockey thread here. Oh, I, 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 I didn't realize you'd never been. I've never been, and my uh, great-grandfather, John, came from Illitornia, which is north of Helsinki. And uh, it was funny. Uh, the original name, Charlie, was Metsa Vinio. Then, of course, they chopped it off at Ellis Island. I'm, I'm sure there's a, there's, a, there's an I and a J in there somewhere, right? Yeah, lots of I's. Yeah, lots, lots of, yeah, lots of balls, soft balls. Uh, and I bumped into a Finnish guy who was visiting about 30 years ago. And uh, so I introduced myself. He said, Finn. I go, yeah. Um, I said, you know, I know Metsa 
means woods or forest. Um, but I said, what? So I asked him, I said, what does mezzo vino mean? And without skipping a beat, he goes, oh, that means lost in the woods. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been able to track it down because it was such a quick so, comeback. So some poor bastard ancestor of yours wound up in Russia. <laughs> Name the whole family. Well, we uh, kept the Russians off at the border, um, and and the Finns invented the Molotov cocktail. Good for them. That's been yeah. a that's an impact on that, on history. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me look at my. T- hey, let's uh, switch over now from hockey uh, to Tennessee. The Tennessee Three. Uh, how cool. Are Justin Jones and Justin Pearson? I give well, I'll tell you what. You go you ahead. Couldn't have done. You couldn't have done a worse job of politics than the Republicans in in, in the Tennessee House did by throwing you two guys out. Yeah, there was absolutely no upside to that, and you know that you've got you create essentially created now two national superstars. Yeah. Uh, you know, and out of, you know, a couple of first term, maybe neither one of these guys was in the, was in their job for a month. Right. Or they were, I guess they were there for a little bit more than a month. They got sworn in in January. But, you know, they were in their first term. They didn't even know where the men's room was in the Capitol. Right. And yet, you know, and yet you've given them a chance, A, to prove how smart they are, B, to prove how savvy they are, C, to prove how eloquent they are, and B... Right. How much, how much smarter they are than you are. Yeah. I mean, when they threw them out, they had to know that they were going to go right back to their counties and get reinstated. Yeah. And now they're going to, they're going to have to stand in special elections, which they'll win, you know, with, you know, 190 bazillion percent of the vote. Uh, so what have you accomplished? Yeah. If you're the, if you're the Tennessee Republicans, what have you succeeded? Well, now, I mean, the governor got so the governor got so scared. He even made a you know made a head fake towards gun reform. Yeah, imagine that. You know what was it? What I really loved about it. Um, well, I just loved the whole. I love the young, fearless politicians. But Justin Pearson, like you said, both the gentlemen are are eloquent, but he talks. Uh, he is. He, 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 I mean, it's really, in a way, he's reminiscent of his cadence of Martin Luther King. And, of course... Well, he, that's interesting. I was talking to somebody about that the other day. He's a preacher's kid. Yeah. So he learned at his father's knee, those cadences. Those are, those are the cadences of the Southern Church. Exactly. And it's, uh, you know, I was thinking more about it. And I'm going, well, that's kind of why, you know, it goes back to... What, you know, I grew up in a town. We'd occasionally have a, a black minister come through. Somebody's been in Africa. Uh, we actually had a uh, black DJ. He went by the name of Jim Dandy. And he was the one in the 50s that Bob Dylan used to li- listen to on uh, WHLB, which is the Virginia station. And he came over and met uh Jim, I never met him, but uh, I had a, f- a friend of mine who uh, who worked with him. Uh, 
but he had a really, he had part of that black church cadence when he was speaking on the radio. And when I was listening to Justin Pearson, I was just going back and going, me as a young white kid growing up on the Iron Range, you don't see many black people. But what started to get you interested? It was rock and roll. It was Stevie Wonder. It was really Martin Luther King. It was uh, uh, all that great black R&B and blues. And you start to go, oh, my God, there's a sense of rhythm here that I haven't found in my Scandinavian culture. Uh, you know, I don't know if I'm explaining well, for, me, it. for me, it was, for, for me, it was, for me, it was, uh, you're growing up in, you know, central Massachusetts. For me, it was Otis Redding. And yeah. it was Little Rich, and it was Little Richard. Little Richard blew my little suburban mind. Yeah. How in the name of God did this ever get on my radio? Yeah. I mean, it was like, it was, they tuned in from outer space. Yeah. And then a lot of it, you know, I'm, a lot of my love for old blues, et cetera, came from the English guys who yeah. came over and, and, and talked about it. You know, I probably would never have heard of Money Waters if it wasn't for the Rolling Stones or Rob yeah. Johnson if it, wasn't, if it wasn't for Eric Clapton. God, and once a... I got there, then I said, you know, that, that opened the floodgates for me. Yeah. But you know, I, I think just... the, the connection between gospel music and the gospel churches which are cert- is certainly why that style of, of, of public speaking came about. Yes, absolutely. Call and, re- call and response, uh, those wonderful kind of rolling cadences, which are very, very musical. Well, I'm just glad... And, and even Barack Obama adopts them occasionally. Yeah, Brock had it down. But it's so nice to have a young cat out there with oh, that man. vibe. Absolutely, and and you know the, the great thing about it is, ever since this happened, neither one of them has made a wrong move. Yeah, you know they're not they're not going to waste this incredible opportunity they have. Uh, they're also not going to get the speaker of the house to resign. But you know why not shoot the moon? You know when you're when you're on top of your game. Uh, hey, no, I think they're. I think that that you know these are people that. You know, sooner or later, I'd be very happy to hand off the baton to those guys. You know? Most certainly. Gives me a lot of hope. We're going to take a break on the Wall of Power Radio Hour and come back for one more big set with Checkpoint Charlie Pierce. Stick around, and thanks for listening. Welcome back to the third set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzler. My guest, the esteemed Mr. Charlie Pierce, on episodes we call Checkpoint Charlie on AM950. Charlie, I was walking around with the dog yesterday, and we had we came within five inches of breaking the 100-year record for snow here in Duluth, Minnesota. And we got to the end of the street, 
uh, which is uh, cut off. It doesn't, the street doesn't go any farther. And there was this powerful little river flowing uh, from the top of the hill that will eventually end up in the insulted sea we call Lake Superior. And I was just reading your latest today on Esquire.com, and I want all my listeners out there to check out Mr. Pierce on Esquire.com. Uh, once again, you're writing about, you're one of the few guys that are writing about the water issues in the United States. You know, I, 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 this all got cued into me by a friend of mine who works in environmental engineering. When we were sitting around, actually, we were sitting around having a beer or two one night, and he said, watch, the next world war is going to be over water. It's not going to be yeah. over oil. You got you got people privatizing water, water, uh, you know, people selling, you know, uh, commodity stock in water. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got, you know, between, you know, climate change, you know, the climate change is putting too much water in places that doesn't need it and none in places that do need it. I did not realize until this week the Colorado River does not reach the Pacific Ocean anymore. Huh. It dead ends somewhere in Mexico. And it's, talk it's a dying about, thing. Uh, yeah, talk to us about the importance Charlie, the Colorado River. Oh, God, it's, 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 it's the water supply for... Well, first of all, you have to understand that most of the southwest United States is supposed to be desert. Okay, that's yeah. the way God... As Billy Preston said, that's the way God planned it, okay? <laughs> that was going to be a desert. Now it's massively pop, overpopulated. Uh, everybody has a lawn. Everybody, you know, there's miles and miles of alfalfa, which is one of the most water-hungry plants on the planet, and, and most of the alfalfa is going to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, it's right. Not, it's, not, it's not being used here. So you've got over-farming, you've got overpopulation, and, you know, you've got a, you've got a complete, you know, decades of, of a complete lack of environmental protection for one of the most, probably one of the two or three most vital rivers in the United States. I mean, Los Angeles... You know, Los Angeles had to steal water to become Los Angeles. Chinatown right. came out as a movie in 1974. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it, uh, well, truthfully, not only is Duluth one of the prettiest cities in America, I've said for years, I call it the little San Francisco, but between Lake Superior and the Boundary Waters, we've got at least close to 15% of the world's fresh water which is why I don't like to broadcast how much I like it up here because I need to be a little selfish to keep this water for ourselves, damn it. Well, we got it. Well, among other things, we, we, we got to keep uh, mining interests out of the boundary waters. That's number yeah. one. Uh, and I think we, you know, I think, you know, the folks up there have done a pretty good job of doing that. Yeah, and Biden just signed, we've got through, uh, through some of our great progressive legislators here. A 20-year ban on copper sulfide mining, but it blows my mind. I mean, why not ban it forever? When, you know, it's not going to get any better in 20 years. I was, was going to say, you know, Biden's a, a perennial optimist. He thinks the country is, is going to regain its sanity within the next 20 years. Yeah. But, hey, 20 years is better than nothing. It's certainly better than that mine. Uh, Good Lord. For sure. For sure. Now, uh, and I think you've got, you know, you've got, and, and the upper Great Lakes, they've got some badass governors now. 
your guy Tony Evers, Gretchen Whitmer? Yeah. Why everybody talks about Ron DeSantis as a powerful presidential presence because he's a governor, and they don't talk about Gretchen Whitmer for the same reason. They, they tried to kidnap her. Yeah. And she got reelected, and she brought the state legislature with her. That is badass. Yeah, no, totally. And now, was it, you're on the, you know, I was thinking the other day, I go back to 1980, the only two states that voted for Walter Mondale was uh, Massachusetts and Minnesota. So I, I 84, I, not 80. 80, 80, was, 84, uh, 80, was only, 80 was only Massachusetts. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry, that's 76. 80 was, uh, maybe it was. No, I think it was 80. Was it 80? Okay, yeah. All right. Uh, I, 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 I long corrected, okay. Yeah, but anyway, my point was, um, was it your governor or your attorney general, a woman in Massachusetts that's making a really strong stand and bought up a bunch of this, uh, the uh, the abortion pill? I can't pronounce it exactly. It's both, it's both, our, it's both our governor, Maura Healy, and our attorney general, Andrea Campbell, uh, who, who was... Who was Combined to buy up all kinds of mifepristone, uh, and basically told that Connecticut, that uh, and basically told that Texas punk judge to sell it. And Jay Inslee, by the way, is doing the same thing in Washington. Yeah, but no, we are we are we are a wonderful, complete matriarchy here in the Bay State now. We're very yeah. happy. Well, we have in Minnesota the DFL controls the governorship, the Senate, and the House, and. Uh, we're kicking ass out here. And we also have, because the DFL knows how to manage their pocketbook, we've got $17 billion in the bank. Oh, the, the party does or the state does? The state does. Oh, God. Yeah. Let's buy everybody uh, a beer. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of beer, uh, that's when I was uh, watching that little river flow down from the hill out to Lake Superior. That's one of the reasons why Duluth has became one of the uh, homebrewing and beer capitals in the United States because of that great clear water from. Is that where is that where uh, Grain Belt uh, was was born? Grain Belt wasn't born in Duluth, uh, but they do have. Uh, I think Grain Belt was Southern Minnesota, but Grain Belt's been around for a hell of a long time, as long as anybody. Yeah, and of course, Hams is Hams is the, 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 from the land of sky blue waters. Yeah, no, I first thing a lot of us learned about Minnesota. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. In fact, um, I think you and I have talked about it because you spent some quality time in uh, Wisconsin going to college. I remember I back, back in about the nineteen late seventies, uh, Robert Christgau, the esteemed man who calls himself the dean of American rock criticism came in to see the replacements and Husker Du were still playing a lot locally, although they had started to play around the country. And he became enamored with Line and Kugel's beer and brought a case Absolutely. back. Absolutely. Line and, and Kugel's lager. Huh? Line and Kugel's lager, the straight lager, not, yeah. you know, the, can- the candy beer that they're marketing all over the country. Yeah. Well, not and I, I'm not a summer shanty guy. They're trying to push that. I just, I want beer. I don't want candied beer. If that's kind no, of no, I mean, I, I went. I, I was introduced to it at a student journalism convention in Lacrosse. Uh, in my would have been my junior year, I guess. Uh, 
And I was just floored by how good it was. Yeah. Uh, and I discovered that they didn't even sell a lager all over Wisconsin. I could only find it in one uh, bar slash package store a couple of blocks from my apartment. Hmm. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, they get bought up by whoever they got bought up by, Miller or InServe or whoever the hell, whatever the hell conglomerate owns them now. All of a sudden, I'm seeing the canoe everywhere in every bar in Massachusetts, but nobody sells the lager. Yeah, great. Now, what they sell uh, the candy you... and the red and whatever the Christmas beer is. Right. You know, I walk into a bar and I see that you know that that canoe that canoe shaped cap that they have, <laughs> and I get real excited. And then I look around and it's the summer shandy, and I get very disappointed. Yeah, I'm not a big fan. Now, did you uh, see spend some time and? In Milwaukee, go to Marquette. Did you ever the, ever have the pleasure of having Point beer, which is out of Steve's oh, yeah. Point? Point was, Point was a good product. When I when I started, I started school there in '71. I lived there until '76. Uh, they all the small breweries were still active. They hadn't been bought up by everybody yet. Mm-hmm. And I I enjoyed I enjoyed a good cold Point from now and then. Of course, the you know the majors were still independent. So Miller, Slips, Paps, Blast were all you know independent operations. Uh, and I think their product was a lot better in that, in, in that case. Well, uh, you know, my father was always a Miller guy. My father would play golf uh, on Saturday with his friends and come home and sit down and have a, a cold Miller highlight. And I love that. He liked the, the idea of the clear bottle. He thought that was he thought that was very stylish. Oh yeah, no, I love that tradition of the guys that, and I had a few in my family. They drink their. They started drinking Bud. They're still drinking Bud. Their first car was a Chevrolet. They're still driving Chevrolets. I mean, that's I can, that's Thank the kind you. of America I love. Yeah, first TV was a Motorola. Yeah. Now, and what I loved about Point Beer, they had probably one of the finest uh, uh, quotes that said, "When you're on a point, you're out of town." So not only did it publicize <laughs> the beer. I publicized the great town of Stevens Point, where I could say I played a couple of gigs over the years. Did you play the university there? Pardon me? Did you play the university there? Yeah, that is exactly where I played. Yep. That's, we got a couple of minutes. Alma alma mater of Terry Porter, terrific basketball player for the Portland Trailblazers. Fantastic. UW Stevens Point. UW Stevens Point, yep. We've got a couple of minutes left with Charlie Pierce. Uh, I'm always uh, have such a great time chatting with him. Honored that he takes part in the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Do you think Trump is actually going to be able to run in 2024? Do I think what? Do you think Trump is actually going to be the nominee in 2024? I think right now he's the favorite. I mean. You'd have to be out of your mind to make book on anything regarding that guy, but I don't see another candidate out there who can touch him. Yeah, he's got thirty percent of the Republican primary. He's got better than fifty percent of the Republican primary base locked up, and he and he still has it despite a, an absolute blizzard of legal trouble. Yeah, with more to come. So you know what? I mean, I'm going to have to see a lot more from, you know, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis and that bunch before I make it. Before I make, and I make him less than the favorite. I'm actually all about 
please run Donald Trump. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, me too. I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for his coronary arteries to, you know, hang in there for at least another eight months. <laughs> Charlie Pierce, what are you looking forward to doing this summer? Uh, I'm gonna get. Around. I'm gonna try to get in on get in on some of these these hot trials in you know Delaware and New York and Washington and cool. Cover a lot of cover the legal travails of our former president. Uh, otherwise, you know, I'm gonna hang around and enjoy the New England summer and hang on the Red Sox. Well, and and uh, like I said, open invitation to come to the Twin Ports. Well, maybe, one, maybe maybe one day we can do. We can do the Hour of Power Checkpoint Charlie from the deck. That would be a beautiful thing. And well, I have from the deck. You mean blue. I have one little uh, tidbit I think you would enjoy. I was in, I, I found a great car guy in Superior, Wisconsin. He was a lifelong family. His dad had the car shop before him, so they've been in Superior, Wisconsin for years. And uh, I was talking about my hometown, Virginia, Minnesota. Main drag, Chestnut Street, had 22 bars when I graduated from high school in 1974. We used to call it the gauntlet. If you could get up one side and down the other, you were doing really well. And he said when he was in high school, he was about my age, he said they had 125 bars in Superior. Well, that's the uh, that's what you get with a seaport, my friend. <laughs> Charlie Pierce, thank you so much. I look forward hey, to and you know you know me anytime. Great time in place. I'm Have a there. great night. Talk to you soon. You too, man. Bye bye. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. We shall for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show was produced by Paul Metzler, engineered by Patrick Lilia. We'd like to thank our guest, Checkpoint Charlie Pierce. Always a pleasure having him on. My book, Alphabet Jazz, is for sale. You can get it at the Electric Fetus in Minneapolis. If you don't want to go out, order it from Amazon.com. Thanks for listening. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy.